Life's an adventure, and it's waiting. Hi, this is Merrill Hodge. At ST Bank, they know life's for the living. That's why ST Bank offers solutions to help you get the most out of it. Whether you're investing in your home, planning for the future, or just making the most of every day, ST Bank is here to help. Learn how ST Bank can help you live the life you want at stbank.com. Member FDIC. ST Bank was ranked number one in customer satisfaction with retail banking in Pennsylvania by JD Power. For JD Power 2022 award information, visit jdpower.com. Awards. The Exxon Radio and TV show is largely an opinion talk show. All opinions, comments, or statements of fact expressed by Rob McConnell's guests are strictly their own and are not to be construed as those of the Exxon Radio and TV show or in any manner endorsed by Rob McConnell, Relmar McConnell Media Company, Talkstar Radio Network, its affiliated stations, or employees. All Hit Radio. Welcome to the X-Zone, a place where fact is fiction and fiction is reality. Now, here's your host, Rob McConnell. Welcome back, everyone. This is The Exxon. My name is Rob McConnell. We're coming to you from our studios in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. If you'd like to send an email, exxon at exxonradiotv.com. On MSN Messenger, exxonradiotv at hotmail.com. And our website, www.exxonradiotv.com. Last week, I had the opportunity of speaking to Nigel Kerner. He is the author of Grey Aliens and The Harvesting of Soul. The Conspiracy to Genetically Tamper with Humanity. Now, this week joining me is Dr. Andrew Silverman. Now, Dr. Silverman gave a presentation in May of this year at a scientific workshop in Italy discussing his and uh, Nigel Kerner's idea about the Shroud of Turin and how the image might have been formed now, Dr. Silverman's uh, full paper will be published soon with the proceeds going to um, the workshop. And uh, he is a medical doctor who has been interested since childhood in the nature of what we are as human beings and what our potential is. He first became aware of the Shroud of Turin on seeing a life-size photo, uh, photographic print of it at uh, Nigel Kerner's house about uh, 30 years ago. He's always been fascinated to know how the image could have been formed, and when he spoke to Nigel Kerner about it many years ago, he explained his theory, uh, and uh, the light is still frozen on thought, and, um, and matter is frozen light. Very interesting concept. 
Joining me now from the United Kingdom is Dr. Andrew Silverman. And uh, Dr. Silverman, welcome to the Exxon, sir. Thank you very much. Very pleased to be here. Uh, tell me, um, the Shroud of Turin is, is, is one of the most uh, compelling pieces of textile this world has ever seen mm. um what are your what are your what do you believe the shroud of turin is sir well i mean um i'll just just quickly say a brief introduction about it for those listeners sure. who aren't too familiar with it um it's a it's a 14 foot long piece of cloth which is kept in in turin in italy mm-hmm. um which has on it the imprint of the body of a man uh, front and back now um the interesting thing about this image is that it's not in any way painted on. It's only a surface phenomenon on the the surface fibers of the cloth only. Um, and it's actually co- it's constituted by a, a change in the chemical structure of the fibers of the of the cloth, um, which the only way that uh, scientifically we can account for how that could happen is that there could have been a short, intense burst of radiant energy onto the cloth that that formed the image. Now, um, this um, image it actually was discovered around the end of the 19th century when photography was first developed. It was discovered that the image is a perfect photographic negative. The man who was commissioned to take photos of the shroud nearly fainted when he saw the photograph, the negative the, that he had taken because the negative picture of the shroud is a positive, yeah. which is unique. Has this ever happened to any other piece of cloth textile no. throughout history? No, and the other thing that that is that is um, that is unique to it is that it has something called distance coded information, which no other photograph has. So that when this was discovered in the 1970s at the Jet Propulsion Laboratory um, in 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 the states, that when you um, put a computer uh, analysis done of the of the image, you find that it has uh, comes out in in perfect relief, three dimensional relief mm. to show the contours of the face and the body of the of the man front and back. Now, if you put an ordinary photograph in this machine, it just comes out loads of uh, troughs and 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 raised areas, but not at all corresponding to the actual three dimensional relief imprint of the of the person who the photograph was taken of. And the reason for that is that Photographs are generally taken with reflected light, but what we realized about the, not not us in particular, but all the scientists... Who Do- have, Dr. Have, Silverman, I'm, I'm going to have to cut in here, sir. We do have to take a commercial break. Uh, we'll be okay. back in two minutes. Exxon Nation, Dr. Silverman is our special guest. Um, and we're going to continue talking about grey aliens as well as the Shroud of Turin as the Exxon continues. Don't go away. With each new extreme weather event or terrorist act, it becomes increasingly obvious that we live in uncertain and challenging times. We all buy car insurance. Why not collapse and catastrophe insurance? Matthew Stein, an MIT-trained engineer and green builder, has written two outstanding books to help people prepare, plan for, and deal with everything from minor situations lasting a few days to full-on collapse. Matt's first book, When Technology Fails, is a manual for self-reliance, sustainable living, and surviving the long emergency. This massive book covers the gamut from first aid and emergency preparedness to alternative healing, renewable energy, 
primitive living skills, and 18th century technologies that could be critical to your comfort and survival in a long-lasting crisis. Matt's second book, When Disaster Strikes, is a comprehensive emergency preparedness handbook and survival guide. When Disaster Strikes is an essential item for every family's go-bag. Both books are available at all usual sources. There's a wealth of totally free information posted at whentechfails.com and author-signed copies may be purchased at mattstein.com. That's www.wentechfails.com and www.mattstein.com. Named one of the world's greatest psychics, Elizabeth Joyce is now giving readings worldwide via Skype. Elizabeth Joyce is recognized for her clairvoyant ability to help find missing persons, her analysis of dreams, past life regression work, mediumship, and her accurate predictions. Elizabeth has been a frequent guest on the X-Zone radio show with yours truly, Rob McConnell, now for several years. For an appointment with Elizabeth Joyce, call 201-934-8986 or Skype at elizabeth.joyce. And for more information, you can always visit Elizabeth Joyce online at www.new-visions.com. disease that you would like to alleviate through a natural means? Have you been contacted by angels, ghosts, or even extraterrestrials and want to validate these experiences? Or would you simply like to speak with someone who can help you find your life's purpose? I'm Dr. Joseph Mara, and I'm offering my services free of charge for first-time clients contacting me during the month of April. These free consultations include angel card readings, guided meditations, life coaching, and energy healing. If you have always wanted to explore these types of experiences but were skeptical or simply could not afford them, then take advantage of this free special offer. Contact me through my website, a guiding light spelled L-I-T-E dot com, to schedule your consultation today. Until then, I offer you love, light, and laughter.
Dr. Andrew Silverman is our special guest. We're talking about not only the Shroud of Turin this hour, but we're also talking about Nigel Kerner's book, Grey Aliens and the Harvesting of Souls, The Conspiracy to Genetically Tamper with Humanity. And for more information on Nigel Kerner and Grey Aliens and the Harvesting of Souls, www.nigelkerner.com. Uh, Dr. Silverman, uh, once again, welcome uh, to the Exxon, sir. And Thank I'm you. sorry we had to cut you off for the commercial okay. break. But if you'd be kind enough to continue and let Certainly. the listeners know about the Shroud of Turin, I'd appreciate it. Thank you. Um, as I was saying, it's um, the unique thing about this imprint is that it has mm-hmm. one of the many unique things is that it has three-dimensional distance-coded information on the image. And the only way that we could account for how that um, could have got there as if the the intense burst of radiant energy that formed the image actually came from the body of the man that the shroud wrapped. Um, now, um, people might be wondering who was this, and I need to get um, two words out of the way, and that's at the start, and that's carbon dating, um, because many people are under the impression that it was shown in uh, the 1988 collaborative study to have actually been from medieval times, mm-hmm. but there's been some some wonderful work that was done by um, a couple called Benford and Marino um, that actually found evidence that the part that was dated was a was a conglomerate of the original cloth put together with a patch that was sewn in later by the nuns and lots of skeptical scientists originally were trying to rubbish that but when they actually did the research into it they actually ended up confirming their their theory um, and there's been a lot of call for for more samples to be tested but as things stand the church has sort of impounded all the the samples and 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 that's not going to be happening at the moment but um now, um, this the question that I was talking about at, at Frascati is, okay, so we've got the idea that the, that the image was formed by the short, intense burst of radiant energy, but why did that happen? How did that happen? How did a corpse shine brighter than the sun for a tiny fraction of a second to be able to cause this image to form? And to me, I think some of the clues might come into when we consider who this person was. Now, forensic pathologists who have studied the image on the cloth have said that this was a, a man who had been tortured. He'd been whipped by the something called the Roman flagrum, mm-hmm. um, which is this um, very painful um, device and um, that also he'd been been crucified with nails through the wrists incidentally through the wrist not through the hands as the medieval artist used to believe it would have been but it would have had to have been through the wrist we now know from um, studies of anatomy that the hands wouldn't have been able to support the weight of the body and in fact pressure of the nail on something called the median nerve would have actually caused a change in the in the position of the the thumb such that the thumbs would be bent inwards under the hands and in fact you do actually see this on the cloth there i mean I could talk for hours and hours and hours about all the the detailed anatomical, pathological, physiological ways in which um, you can see that the that it's all perfectly accurate and mm-hmm. um, and many forensic pathologists who have who have studied it say this but also not only had he been crucified but he had been pierced through the through the side and also he had had a, a cap of uh, thorns that had been been placed on on his head with um, all the the blood marks so there is on the cloth there is there's three things there's there's damage from a fire that happened to the cloth in the 16th century on certain patches of it there's blood stains and there's the actual image of the man now interestingly 
the blood got on there before the image happened. So um, the blood got on there when uh, the um, the body was wrapped in the the, the cloth. We can we can deduce, mm-hmm. and then at some point later, something happened whereby this uh, radiation process happened, and then the, where there were blood stains already, then the image didn't actually form underneath those and just to stress again that the image is actually it's not painted on it's not a pigment there's nothing added to the cloth which if there had been it would have it would have seeped in it's like the what's on there is the actual image um, itself is less than a hair's breadth thick and only on the surface fibers and is is changes in the in the collagen so really um i mean i've I've been been fascinated by by this shroud ever since i i first saw it the a picture of it 30 years ago and and went to went to see it when it was displayed in the in the late 90s and there was uh, a manuscript of uh, one of nigel's uh, uh, uh book that he wrote previously which has has yet to be published but i'm looking forward to it being published where he uh, puts forward certain ideas about the nature of what humankind is and the nature of what matter is and what mind is and so on and the the idea that he was putting forward is that actually as you say that that matter could perhaps be be frozen light and that's something that is actually consistent with with Einstein's equations and so on and we know that at the Big Bang initially there was mainly photons or uh, electromagnetism which is basically like light and then uh, later that condensed into 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 matter and that light itself is something called frozen thought is how he defines it now um, this isn't just um, just his idea. If you actually look at the developments that happened in the 20th century in in quantum theory, um, someone called Erwin Schrödinger, who um, many listeners may have have heard about the the story of, of Schrödinger's cat, for example. He, Schrödinger was one of the um, one of the founders of quantum theory and came up with an equation that is is so accurate that it gets confirmed every time it, that it's it gets tested to to billionths of a, a percent and his idea was schrodinger's idea is that the matter is made made real only through the experience of a conscious observer that until it's experienced consciously that it's all it is is just uh, possibilities, probabilities, and and potentials, and becomes real through the act of conscious observation. Now, um, he said also that 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 being the case, that it has very interesting implications for the nature of of our of our universe of space, matter, and time. Because if you look at the way science describes time, it sees it as all of. Uh, a continuum from beginning to end, if you like, Big Bang to the end of the universe, could all be mapped out as a as a as a line with nothing to say thing, which direction things are going in or where you are upon that line. But because we have minds, because we have we're conscious observers, all human beings, that is, we experience something that we call now. Mm-hmm. That it's always where, where all our experience is always within the now. And what Schrodinger said is that the that being the case that that not only do we make matter real, but that we make time happen. That that because of this experience of of now, and that if something that has been produced by the mind cannot then later 
destroy the mind. So his implication that he drew from that in a book that he he published in the 1940s called What is Life is that actually the mind must be something that's eternal. It can't have a beginning or an end if time is a product of the mind rather than the other way around. All right, when it comes to who this person may be, you know, there's a lot of speculation that it may be Jesus Christ, but how do you confirm that? So, And how do you, how can you be so certain that this shroud has anything to do with the person known as Jesus? Right. Well, it's a very good question. And we can never know it for 100% as 100% fact. Mm-hmm. There's, there isn't a, you know, a, a signature on there saying, you know, this, this sure. is who I am that, that formed the, the, the image. But um, what we can do is trace with a lot of evidence that the, that the cloth was around in the first century or in March or April um, in Jerusalem. Um, and this March and April in Jerusalem is based upon um, pollen studies that have been done by a, um, actually by an Israeli uh, botanist, that is, uh, and this has been confirmed by by others as well. Um, and the fact that it fits so closely to the description of events that are, that are supposed to have have happened to Jesus, and the fact that this is a, a unique object that's that's completely um, that has has more mm-hmm. has had more scientific study on it than probably any other object in in history, and everything that has been studied has been consistent with this possibility that it was him and the other thing that the crucial point that i would like to um expand upon a little bit is what is it about whoever formed this image that made them capable of doing that now um if you look at the the life story of jesus about his his teachings and Mm -hmm. and the way he lived his life and i should say at the outset here that i come from a, a jewish background so i have no sort of vested interest and definitely no no religious axe to grind here in in you know wanting sure. to say that this is that this is Jesus, but this is this is what and in fact actually interestingly a lot of the the shroud research has also come from a from a similar background. But the um, the the point is that if what we were discussing earlier about about the connection between mind and matter and the people often ask, can mind influence matter? I actually once went to a talk um, 20 years ago when I was a student by a, a newly appointed professor of parapsychology where he was presenting the evidence for and against um, whether mind can influence matter and looking at extrasensory perception and what they call psi, PSI, mind right. over matter. And so, and at the question time at the end, I just raised my hand and mm-hmm. the, the chairman pointed to me and I said, I'd just like to say in raising my hand, I've proved at least to myself the power of mind over matter, because I believe we're all doing it all the time. Every single moment, every time we exercise choice, we're demonstrating the the power of mind over matter. Now, if, as quantum theory suggests, matter, the existence of matter is is contingent, is is dependent upon the existence of the mind, then we can imagine that that power of mind over matter could, in its ultimate potential, be completely limitless and if it's you follow what what schrodinger was saying that actually um for the doctor a uh, doctor we're going to have to take a break please stand okay, by exonation uh, dr andrew silverman is my special guest we're talking about the shroud of turin www.nigelkerner.com and uh, dr silverman and i will be back on the other side of this commercial break as we continue from our studios in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. 
My name is Rob McConnell. This is the Exxon. Whatever you do, do not go away. We'll be back right after the news. I hear the drums echoing tonight. She hears only whispers of some quiet conversation. Are you considering calling a psychic to read your situation? Then consider David Champion a psychic medium for more than 20 years with thousands of readings under his belt. David Champion will make you feel comfortable. He has proven to be honest and accurate. He's a straight shooter. There's no guesswork. What he sees is what you get. While he is a medium, most of the calls focus on relationships. Not only love, but work, school, neighbors, and more. Need help with finding a job and preparing for the interview? Are you dealing with people who are obstacles in your path? For more information, go to davidchampion.com, $1.50 per minute, paid by credit card, with a minimum of 30 minutes. For your reading with David Champion, call 1-877-702-8598. That's 1-877-702-8598. Now you can dial in to listen to the Exxon Radio Show from anywhere in the world with Rob McConnell 24-7, 365 by dialing 213-401-0080. That's 213-401-0080. If you have a mobile phone or landline, the Exxon Radio Show with Rob McConnell is now at your beck and call at 213-401-0080. That's 213-401-0080, 24-7, 365. My name is Michael Telstar, Canada's leading mentalist from Toronto, Ontario. Hi, my name is Splinza, and you're listening to my dad, Ron McConnell, on the XM. This is Psychic Dorothy from St. Catharines, and you're listening to Rob McConnell. Hello, my name is Holly Reeves, an astrologer from astro for You, and you're listening to Canada's number one paranormal radio show, The X-Zone, with Rob McConnell. Welcome to The X-Zone, a place where fact is fiction and fiction is reality. Now, here's your host, Rob McConnell. Every time I look Welcome back, Exo Nation. Now, last week we had Nigel Kerner on the show talking about gray aliens and the harvesting of souls, the conspiracy to genetically tamper with humanity. His website is www.nigelkerner.com. And our guest this hour, Dr. Andrew Silverman, is a friend and co-researcher with Nigel. And we're talking this hour about... Not only gray aliens, but the Shroud of Turin. Uh, it's it's always amazed me, uh, Dr. Silverman, that people just take it for granted that this is actually Christ. You know, yes, there may be circumstantial evidence. Yes, it may fit in with the 
with the establishment of certain pollen that this this cloth was in the same area where Christ had been crucified, but there still is no concrete evidence whatsoever, scientific or otherwise, that this shroud has the 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 image of Jesus Christ on it. Well, um, as I was saying, what it does, what we can see is that the events that were portrayed that mm-hmm. were unique to to his particular story can be seen. Uh, shown forensically as what has happened actually on the shroud. But also, as I, I was, began to allude to um, earlier, whoever it was, whatever name mm-hmm. we give to this person who did it, I, I believe that what it's demonstrating to us is the, something about all of humanity, that it's not specific to, to an individual. I, I just uh, began to say before the break um, about some some advances that actually happened quite a long time ago in quantum theory, but are still just as valid now, I believe, as they were then. Um, from um, one of the founders of quantum theory, um, Erwin Schrödinger, who um, suggested that you know that they say that um, that the, that an electron or a, a photon these little tiny particles of matter that they only actually happen when they're observed and that by a conscious observer mm-hmm. and that it follows from that that all materiality all matter is in some way dependent on the observer and he took it further and said that actually time is also dependent on on us there's only time because we exist to experience something that we call now and he deduced from that that if time is a product of our consciousness our sentience then our consciousness doesn't need to begin or end in time in fact it couldn't do because something that is produced by the mind can't destroy the mind and he also what you can deduce from that is that if the mind had no beginning then and we we have plenty of evidence that the universe the physical universe did have a beginning and that it came from a, a singularity, like uh, a single point at the Big Bang, of, no, of nothingness, no thingness, no mm-hmm. matter at the start. Well, then it, it stands to reason that in the beginning, we would all have been one. That, that now we have separate uh, identities for our minds that we call individuals uh, with our own personalities and so on. But actually, if you look at what makes a mind a mind, there's two things, that it, two qualities that it has. One is to be aware, and the other one is to exercise free choice. And those fundamental paradigms are the same in all of us. All that's different is what we're aware of, what memories and experiences we have had and are having, and which choices we make. That's what, that's what differentiates us. Now, as, as Nigel points out in his book, the thing about the physical universe is that it's a one-way drift into separation, chaos, and, and disorder. And this is something that is, is borne out by, by scientific research. This is something that all physicists know. They call it the second law of thermodynamics, that everything, that, for example, um, some things break apart, but if you break a glass on the ground, the bits aren't going to come together on their own and form back into a glass. It always only happens in, in one way. And if, perhaps, if we existed as sentient beings right from the start, and if our consciousness is what makes reality real, then perhaps the whole physical universe is a result of sentient beings choosing 
to be separate, choosing to be less than they can be. And this is where it ties back into to people, to the great teachers of the past, like um, Jesus and the Buddha and, and, and um, um, several others, who actually taught that, for example, Jesus said, ye are gods, that mm-hmm. he was always speaking of the wonderful potential of all human beings, not making himself out as, as put, him on a, put himself on a pedestal that no one else could reach. He always was at pains to say, all these things that I do, you can do, and you can do better than I'm doing. So that's why, in a way, I think, um, the, the, although there is so much evidence that it's pointing to it being Jesus, I would say that the person who it was was a son of man, if you like. It was a, a product of humanity, this person. And that's what matters, not not what name they had, whether we call him Yeshua ben Yosef or, or Jesus or whatever. This was someone who lived a life in such a way that they were able to go against that entropic drift that all matter follows naturally to break apart and should teach you a way of, of living that does the opposite. This idea of loving your neighbor as mm-hmm. yourself. Well, if we were all one at the start, and fundamentally we are all one, but our restrictions, our separation, our, our prejudices, our racism, our selfishness, our materialism, the things that keep us, keep us separate, if we sort of cast aside those values and, and live in a, a, way that, a way that the person on that cloth lived, then maybe it's not about being good or, or you know, praiseworthy or any of that kind of thing, and it's nothing at all to do with religion. It's just simply about what a mathematician would call a vector, something that points in a certain direction. And living in that way points in the direction of union instead of separation, points in the way of if force is the result of separation, like when you get a spring and you pull it apart, you create more tension in it, just as the, the universe, as it expands, becomes more, becomes more enforced. Well, then if you can actually undo that force, become the idea of... of, of you know, they say uh, peace on earth, goodwill to men. Well, if you imagine that free will, by definition, is defined as being a, a choice that is made without any force making you have to make that choice. So freedom prevails best in peace. And if you, the more enforced you are, the less free you are. So uh, a material object is just a, is just a product of force. But if any human being has something in them, I would suggest, I would argue, and I think there's scientific evidence to back this up, that can actually act against the prevailing forces and choose through their, through their freedom not to follow trends and tendencies and, and habits and so on. And so to me... The, the fact that there was, uh, there is a um, record that a person lived 2,000 years ago who, um, who taught in this, this way and, and is, is uh, said to have lived a life like this. And there's also a, a cloth that bears the, his imprint. And now, uh, to get back to that, I would have to say that the thing is, the crucial thing is that this was a corpse, okay? So the corpse shone brighter than the sun for a, a tiny fraction of a second. Now, if matter and the whole of the universe is just the product of, of 
thought of mind choosing separation, then if we do the opposite, if we choose to unite, then perhaps we can undo that force, that restriction of, of matter. Now, as one thing I pointed out in my talk is that if you look at E equals MC squared and you release all the energy in the matter of a human body, well, that would be several Hiroshima explosions worth. And, you know, the, the whole continent didn't just disappear off the face of the earth. So what, what happened to release the light from the, the body couldn't have been that kind of enforced process. But there's an interesting, um, I, I pointed to something that, um, that Stephen Hawking wrote, that actually the whole universe comes from nothing and that energy, the total amount of energy is conserved. So at the start there was no energy. Now, that although we have all this force in the universe, the total of it still, he said, adds up to zero because you have to count, you have to subtract the effect of gravity. All right, let, let me ask you this, Siri. You know, this is very scientific and, you know, it brings a lot of theories and a lot of, a lot of hypotheses. But to the common person, what is the significance of this? Is it possible that this was just a one-shot-in-a-lifetime deal, that the conditions were perfect for this uh, this flash to occur, and that it has nothing, absolutely nothing to do with this divine being that is alleged to have existed without any other without any other evidence whatsoever? Well, there there is plenty of evidence, such that, as uh, historically the such that as Jesus existed in the in the the chronicles of of the time, um, and even in the um, even in the the, the um, Jewish stories that, that were written at the at the time that but, he was there. But, but sir, the, they, they um, were stories. There's no document. evidence. There's no well, proof. no any any history book is is story. It's, it's called his story. That's what that's how we define right. history. But we've also so, we also story, know, I'm sir. We also know, fiction. sir. Sir, we also okay. know we also know that a lot of history, the majority. Back then was 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 not real. Well, I mean, the the, the I would say that the existence of the the, the Turin Shroud is is in many ways uh, a great deal of evidence to point to the fact that that he did exist. Apart from the fact that but, Josephus and various other chroniclers of the time have actually said that he did exist. Sir, if if the if the Shroud of Turin did in fact contain the the image of one that people called Jesus, would this not, beyond a shadow of a doubt, confirm the validity of the claims that are held within the Bible? Well, I mean, it, it, it may provide evidence. To, in the end, you can't, you can't prove anything to, to anyone ultimately it's it's people that make the decision whether mm -hmm. they're going to accept something as being proven or not but i mean the the idea of the that there was a resurrection is is definitely and perhaps even a, a transfiguration if you like where because it, there are reports in the in the bible that mm -hmm. he was seen to to for example i was talking about gravity well that he's reported to have walked on water at one time to have risen up above the the ground and shone brighter than the sun well as I was saying, if you if you reduce force, then it would stand to reason that that gravity could also reduce. And and this isn't only actually interestingly, this isn't only unique to him. There are other individuals. For All right, example, the, then the why Buddha, then Teresa why can't Rattler, the, then the, why can't the events that Christ or these other divine humans are alleged to have happened? Why can they not be replicated today? Well, I mean, you see if. 
for example, if this happened, the Buddha was 500 years before him. He was said to have risen up above the ground at certain mm-hmm. points, and then Jesus replicated it in his day. So maybe if we're not replicating it, it's just because our, our minds are pointing in the wrong directions, that he was saying what our potential was, but it's up to us whether we, we fulfill our potential. And, and he was demonstrating the, the ultimate of what we can achieve as human beings. And he always, he always said, for example, wh- um, when people were healed, he didn't say, I have healed you. He said, your faith has healed you he always was was always talking about the potential of all of all human beings not just of himself well i can i can see over the years nobody has given him uh, very much notice because the world's in one hell of a sad state these days there's hunger there's illness there's people dying in the thousands each and every day on this planet there's not enough food there's not enough water we're on the threat of nuclear annihilation sure so why can't these great masters these divine beings do anything to save our sorry butts well because we have to do it ourselves. That's the whole point about free will. Or is that yeah. our or is that our excuse? Is that our way of saying, you know what? They really don't exist and we're going to give them this escape clause. So in case we're questioned, we'll say, Well, you know what? It's not up to them, it's up to us. Yeah, I think I think um people um sort of because because we, we spend a lot of our lives when we start off as children being mm-hmm. looked after and having a mummy and daddy, we, we sort of um who are there to look after us. We have this idea that there's going to be a sort of paternalistic um God in the sky who's going to do everything for us. But actually, I think if you look at it rationally, if if God does exist, or mm-hmm. if, if these, these beings were genuine and did actually teach a way that we could live, it's up to us whether we follow that or not. If if they could if they were to make us do it, mm-hmm. then there would be no meaning to to making us do it. We'd we'd just be like no no more than the objects that that I'm describing as saying that they have they have no actual meaning in themselves or of themselves at all because they're they're only products of force. Where we're unique is because we have we have freedom of choice. So it's, if it's since it's our freedom of choice that makes us unique. Now I do, I do would like to um, if we have time give one um, illustration of of how this this does connect to, to Nigel's book. All right, I've got can, there's one minute left before I have to take my next break. So if okay, you can well, do it in a minute. We can come back to that in the next segment then. All right, the final segment is four minutes and 50 seconds. My name is Rob McConnell. Our special guest this hour is Dr. Andrew Silverman. We're talking about the Shroud of Turin and how it relates to Nigel Kerner's book, Grey Aliens and the Harvesting of Souls, The Conspiracy to Genetically Tamper with Humanity, www nigelkerner.com that's n-i-g-e-l-k-e-r-n-e-r.com once again that's gray aliens and the harvesting of souls the conspiracy to genetically tamper with humanity 1-800-610-7035 is our worldwide toll-free number email exxon at exxonradiotv.com on msn messenger exxonradiotv at hotmail.com and our uh, websites, www.exxonradiotv.com. And if you'd like to listen to the Exxon when we're not on air, www.exxontv.com. My name is Rob McConnell. I'll be back on the other side of this break with our special guest this hour, Dr. Silverman, talking about the Shroud of Turin.
With each new extreme weather event or terrorist act, it becomes increasingly obvious that we live in uncertain and challenging times. We all buy car insurance. Why not collapse and catastrophe insurance? Matthew Stein, an MIT-trained engineer and green builder, has written two outstanding books to help people prepare, plan for, and deal with everything from minor situations lasting a few days to full-on collapse. Matt's first book, When Technology Fails, is a manual for self-reliance, sustainable living, and surviving the long emergency. This massive book covers the gamut from first aid and emergency preparedness to alternative healing, renewable energy, primitive living skills, and 18th century technologies that could be critical to your comfort and survival in a long-lasting crisis. Matt's second book, When Disaster Strikes, is a comprehensive emergency preparedness handbook and survival guide. When Disaster Strikes is an essential item for every family's go-bag. Both books are available at all usual sources. There's a wealth of totally free information posted at whentechfails.com and author-signed copies may be purchased at mattstein.com. That's www.whentechfails.com and www.mattstein.com. Rob McConnell here, presenting an overview for Nicholas Paul Jinnick's, author of a fascinating book, Amen. It presents facts revealed by Egyptologists, facts that enable us to understand why Amen is the beginning of creation of God. It provides recommendations for religious leaders of the major religions to unify their beliefs and teach the word of God, love one another. Amen informs people how mankind conceived God, it was the Egyptians that developed the concepts of a soul, a hereafter, and son of God. And finally, after the worship of many gods, they conceived the belief in one universal God, the maker of all there is. For more information, visit www.futureofgodamen.com. That's www.futureofgodamen.com. Does the Shroud of Turin, uh, Dr. Silverman, relate to Nigel Kerner's book, Grey Aliens and the Harvesting of Souls? Right. Well, um, he talks about the two different types of, of being in that, in that book. Mm -hmm. One is the natural being, if you like, like us, like sentient human beings. And the other one is, is something that's artificial, like a, like a machine that we're now ourselves and even with our very young technology producing robots that we send into space. If as most 
um, scientists believe there probably would be, um, whether or not they believe we've had co direct contact with them on this planet, they believe that they would probably exist, aliens and other other planets. And if they were far in advance of our civilization, they would have far more advanced robots. And that he points out in in a in a, in a logical dissertation how that could be dangerous to us. Now, I just wanted to give a, an illustration from the the story of 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 Yeshua, or if we call him Jesus in the in the Bible, that there's a story that he was actually um, taken up by a creature that into a high point where he could see all the cities of the earth. This being that, that did this to him was is described as Satan, which incidentally is a myth, mythological creature that is supposed to have fallen from the sky. So mm -hmm. it's taken to a high point where he could see all the cities of the earth. Now, anyone with Google Earth or with a globe can do a little experiment where they look at the globe and if they point, turn it round so that they can see all, uh, far, from far enough away the continents of Europe, Asia, Africa, the Americas and Australasia all facing them and then the Pacific will be on the other side. And then from space, and incidentally, the point at the center of all of that landmass wouldn't be far from Judea, which is where um, Jesus was when this happened to him. So if you go up high enough into the sky, you can actually see all the cities of the earth. So this is interesting in that it may actually point to the fact that it was, what, what is this, this creature that took him to this high point? Because it, people say it was the devil. If the, if the the devil is supposed to be in some way opposite to God, and we're sentient beings because we we have um, some element of, of God in us that makes us aware, perhaps. Mm -hmm. Then if something's more opposite to God, it wouldn't even have a mind. It's more likely, actually, to be like a like a machine, like a robot, to be as, as different to God as it can be. Um, and so... If if that's the case, then it would it would fit that that he was actually giving us a clue to the fact that there could be these things that aren't to be trusted. These creatures that come from from outer space, and even even Stephen Hawking, although he doesn't necessarily believe in in UFOs and so on, he said that if we were to have contact from creatures from another planet, that we should assume that they're not likely to be very kind to us in the sense that that we're not kind to, as, as human beings with, with um, more technology. We, the ones with more technology tend not to be very kind to the ones with less, if you like. And, and we're not very kind in how we, we treat animals also mm. and, 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 and lower species. Dr. And, Silverman, and, I hate to do this, sir, but we've just run out of time for tonight. I want to thank you so much for joining us. And uh, we'll be speaking to Nigel Kerner next week here in the Exxon Exxon Nation. For further information, visit www nigelkerner.com that's www.nigelkerner.com I'll be back on the other side of this commercial break with the news as the Exxon continues we're right here live and around the world from our studios in Hamilton Ontario Canada my name is Rob McConnell this is the Exxon we'll be back after the news at six and a half minutes past the hour don't go away If you look around, there are so many ways to make a difference. At Capella University, our FlexPath format gives you a different way to earn your degree. Take courses at your speed. Move on whenever you're ready. Education should fit your life. Learn more at capella.edu.